This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Well, good morning, River Church. We got lots of sleep last night. If not, don't worry, I got 30 minutes, you'll get in some good Z's right now. Just don't snore too loud, okay? We'll be fine, we'll be fine. Um, no, I'm glad that you're here. I know, uh, I know, time change, I always joke about it, but I hate this day, don't you? It's the worst, to me, I call it the worst day of the year, man. So I'm glad that you got up on the worst day of the year and decided to come in here, get some nice, strong coffee, and come hang out and worship Jesus today. And man, I hope that you are blessed because of it, amen? Amen. All right. So uh, if you were here last week, we talked about, um, as we've been continuing the series, Jesus the King, uh, we talked about why Jesus had to die and suffer. Remember, we talked about, he told the disciples, said, who do you say that I am? And they said, oh, we think you're, you know, we think that you're the Messiah. And he said, all right, great. Now I'm going to suffer and die. And then they were like, whoa, 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 right? They tried to stop him. They tried to convince him. Really, Peter tried to convince him, hey, Jesus, this is not a good idea. And then we talked about why it wasn't just a good idea, but it was the best idea of all time. As a matter of fact, it literally is the reason why we can have salvation. Amen? Amen. And so we talked about how Jesus came to suffer and die, and he had to suffer and die so that we could know a few things. Number one, so that we could know true love. Number two, so that we could know true forgiveness. And number three, that in those things, we may have true identity, a true foundation based on those things in Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about an enemy of that identity. Today, we're going to talk about an an enemy of understanding and knowing true love, an enemy of knowing and understanding true forgiveness. We're going to talk about a trap that we as Christians even fall into sometimes, a trap that we chase after and think that we need or that will, that, that, that will help us or save us or help us find identity is a trap that we fall into and robs us of much of our experience in our relationship with Jesus. Sounds like fun, huh? Are we excited? Let's jump right in. I'll read you the story, and then uh, we'll kind of trace back and talk about it. Starting in Mark chapter 10, uh, I'm going to read verse 17 through 27. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? 
The disciples were astonished at his word. And again, Jesus said to him, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Is it, e- it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So because of this, I'm going to guilt you for about 30 minutes. Then we're going to take a big offering, okay? Does that sound good? Yeah? I don't, I don't want you to go to hell. I'm trying to help you out, people, okay? It says, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Amen? That's that, that right there, that verse 27, we should get excited about that one, shouldn't we? We should get excited about that one. So we read this story and we hear this story and we go, what, what exactly went wrong here, right? Because if, if you're paying attention as we've been walking through Mark, the stories with Jesus don't often end like this, do they? They, they don't, like, like if you think about this, he comes to the right person, he comes to Jesus, he comes with the right attitude, he comes humbly before Jesus, he asks the right question, how do I have salvation, how do I get eternal life? Then Jesus tells him what to do and he leaves sad, <laughs> Like, what happened? If, if you're confused by this story, you're not the only one. Did you see what it said about the disciples? It says the disciples, when they saw what happened, they heard what Jesus said. It said they were astonished, right? So if you're confused this morning when you read this verse or you hear this, this story, if you're confused, you're not the only ones because the disciples were confused and shocked too. One of the reasons why is because the disciples lived in a culture, which sometimes we maybe live in the same culture, where they believed and they thought that if you were wealthy, if you had riches, if you had lots of material possessions, it was because you were really good at being good and God blessed you because of it. And and I do believe God blesses us. I do believe God shows favor on people's lives and God does pour out blessings on us, but they had a very karma type mindset about this. If I do this, 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 if I do good here, good here, good here, then God's going to bless me. So they saw this material wealth that this guy has as a blessing from God. Like he has this because he's so good at being good. And Jesus is like, well, if you actually want salvation, if you actually want heaven, you got to give all that stuff away. And so you can almost just see their brains. What is happening? You know, what's going on? The answer, though, is that this man fell into a trap that we often ourselves fall into when it comes to our relationships with God. And what Jesus is trying to do is set him free of that trap. Let, let, me, let me just read verse 17 through 20 one more time, okay? It says, as he set out on the journey, a man ran up, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And so he's listing off the commandments. Boom, 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 boom. And the guy's like, but Jesus, I've I've done. I've done all these for my youth. I've done these for a long time. I'm doing really good, right? And again, here he is. He's come to Jesus. He literally, he kneels before him. And we see, and, and Mark, as we've been walking through, we've seen this a lot, haven't we? We see people when they come to Jesus, when they genuinely want help, when they're genuinely coming humbly before God, they, lead, they humble themselves, they kneel down before him. So he humbles himself, he kneels before Jesus, he recognizes Jesus' importance, he calls him good teacher. 
good teacher, which is interesting because Jewish people didn't just throw this word around. It's, um, it's awesome that we sang those songs calling good father and saying that he's good because in this time in history, the Jewish people, they didn't throw that word around. As a matter of fact, they didn't even call each other good. The only person, as Jesus points out, that they called good was God. You say, why is that? Because they recognize that in the human experience in the human nature there was no good and that as they look to God they recognize we are wicked we don't have a bent towards good as a matter of fact it's only good who is it's only God who is light and holy and good and perfect and so as he points to Jesus he says good teacher he's already saying I recognize that there's something special about you Jesus I recognize that maybe you're a prophet or that I recognize that maybe he doesn't grasp that he's the son of God, but he recognizes and believes that this guy is from God. So he comes humbly to Jesus. He kneels down before him. He calls him the good teacher. And then he asks Jesus the big question, how do I inherit eternal life? And let's, let's just be honest. This is the question, isn't it? Not, not just for their day, we're like, yeah, they want to inherit eternal life, but for our day too, right? This is a question that we're asking ourselves, right? Like in the entire world is trying to teach us or tell us their viewpoint on how to answer this question, right? Whether it's the Muslim faith or the Buddhist faith or even like atheists who don't even believe in God. They say, how do I inherit eternal life? Well, have a legacy, right? Have a legacy. Get cryogenically frozen, right? Freeze your head. You'll be good, right? And then you... We'll wake you up in 30 years, and you'll be great, right? I'm going to try it out. We'll see if it works, right? The, the CEO of Google is trying to figure out how he can live forever. Do you guys know that? He's spending billions of dollars to figure out how can I eat right and change my DNA and change my cell structure so that I can live forever. You know, and like, I mean, honestly, I'm not planning on dying. Are you guys? I'm not. So far, 100%, right? So far, we're doing good. <laughs> We've made it. As mankind, we know, we see it coming, we see it happen in other people, we see it, and we ask ourselves this question, how can I stop that? How can I stop that? How can I get out of that? How can I stay alive? It's kind of, it's hardwired into our system. How can I get this eternal life? How can I get this, whether we believe it's heaven or whatever people out there think, right? How can I not stop my experience here? And so he comes to Jesus and he asks him, this question, which is interesting because this man being a devout Jew already should know the Jewish answer. He comes to Jesus, who is a Jewish, he believes a Jewish rabbi. He calls him good teacher, which he would call a Jewish rabbi. He, he thinks, so he's a, he understands he's a, he's a Jewish rabbi. He's going to give me, he thinks, the Jewish answer. This man should already know the answer. And the Jewish rabbi answer was, don't sin, obey the statutes of God, and maybe you'll get in the club. Sounds like a lot of fun, huh? He should already know the Jewish answer, the rabbi's answer. So why is this guy asking Jesus this question? I think it's because, as he answered Jesus, I've done all those things. I've done all that. I followed the rules. I followed the rules. I followed the rules. That despite all of his attempts to follow the rules, he feels deep down in his soul that something's missing. 
that according to all the measurables, he's doing well. According to all the measurables, he's doing fantastic. And yet he can feel something's off. Like Jesus lists off the rules. He responds, I've done those since I was a kid. And you notice Jesus isn't like, no liar, you didn't. Remember that time when you were six? No, Jesus almost just accepts. Yeah, you've done it. You've done a pretty good job of this. And here he is as he's been following the rules his entire life. And he still, still feels like he's lacking something. Like according to the, the, the Jewish rules, he's doing great. So why does he feel this way? I think it's an answer that we all feel because deep down, he knows who he is. Even if everybody around him thinks he's someone else, he knows who he is. And he's been putting all his effort into saving his own soul, but he still feels broken. When I was a teenager, um, I know you guys probably never had this happen to you, but occasionally I'd get a pimple. And on the realm of like, don't, that's too hard laughing over there, man. <laughs> on the realm of like noses, mine's not on the smaller side, you know what I'm saying? So I would get one, sometimes they'd show up right here, you know, right on the tip, you know, you know, right there, you know. That was always a good spot. And so it always seemed to be before something important, you know. And so you get a, occasionally get a pimple. And again, I'm sure it's never happened to you guys. And I would go and my mom would see it and she'd be like, and what's, here's what's funny though. Here, here's the irony about it. I, it didn't really bother me that much. I didn't even notice. My mom would be like, ooh, let me help you with that. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like sometimes you're unaware and your mom's like, let me, let me, let me get that for you. And like, what, what? And all of a sudden now I'm feeling self-conscious, right? And so she'd come in and what would she do? She put some makeup on it, wouldn't she? And so here I am. I'm admitting before the church that I used to wear makeup. This is not going in a good direction here. <laughs> used to occasionally. But anyway, she'd take that and she'd put whatever it is, concealer or whatever that is. I'm acting like I don't know. I know what, what, what it was, okay? <laughs> and she would cover up that little blemish that I had and she would hide it and she would help me, you know, walk out with self-confidence. Except I didn't want anybody to get too close. You know why? Because I knew if they got too close, they could see what was really there. And I think there's this guy who's got, he's rich and he's trying to be really, really good and being really, really moral. But at the same time, he's coming to Jesus and going, Jesus, it has to be something more than this because I know I still got that pimple. I know I still got that blemish and I'm trying all this, this goodness to cover it up, but it, it still feels like it's, it's there, you know? And we, I think we walk with that and we carry that. And I think no matter where, what level of success we reach in life, if we don't have a life-changing relationship with Jesus, we still feel that on some level. And I'm going to confess something to you right now that you're going to mock me about. But a few months ago, I watched the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. <laughs> Anybody else? T-Swift, right? And as I watched this documentary, she talked about, and here's this woman who literally is like one of the most powerful women in the entire record industry. Like, not just like women's music or country music or pop, like the world, right? And she talked about in this documentary her struggle with this eating disorder that she's had for years and her struggle with her looks and her struggle with all these things that she's had for years. Like, this is one of the, one of the most powerful women in the world, one of the most richest women in the world. And she talks about this thing that she carries. 
And my point is, I guess, is whether real or imagined, like I think when I say hers was imagined, I mean, there's nothing wrong with her. Like physically, she shouldn't be feeling that, right? No matter what she, the world says, no no matter what the truth is, she's still feeling this. And I think my point here is that as we walk through life, we feel these things like real or imagined. And, and the truth, though, is as as human beings, those faults, those blemishes are more real than imagined. And so here we have this guy who to everyone around him, to all of the world around him, he looks like he's got it together. He looks like, hey, if anybody's going to get into heaven, it's going to be this guy. I mean, that's why the disciples are looking at him and they go, if he doesn't get into heaven, then who's going to get into heaven? You see him ask that question? If he's not good enough, if he can't make it, then who can make it? He's he's rich, which means God must like him. He's probably good looking because you can't be rich and not good looking, right? Now someone's like, no, 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 right? Yeah. Never mind, I'm gonna stop. I'm I'm down there. All right. He's got lots of money. He's got, you know, he's good, he's moral, he's probably good looking, he's young, he seems to have it all together. And they're looking at him and he still knows he's lacking. To everyone else, they're going, if if anybody's getting in, it's got to be this guy. And yet he goes, Jesus, what can I do to make this feeling go away? What can I do? But you, you notice his question is all wrong, isn't it? And so Jesus gives him something else to do. He gives him something else to do that's going to reveal the flaws of his heart and even more importantly, the flaws of his thinking. Verse 21, it says, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So Jesus lists off the commandments and he says, yeah, you shouldn't be doing bad things. You shouldn't be murdering people or lying or stealing or killing. And he, and he, he lists off these things. But the, the truth is, if he stops there, if all he does is give him a list of things to do or not to do, then all that's happened is this man has become really good at being really religious. And at the end of the day, he's still chasing, trying to cover up his blemishes, trying to cover up his faults with some makeup that he's trying to put on. He's not actually having anything healed or changed. But here's, here's what Jesus says that's so kind of crazy. He says, essentially, if you want heaven, if you want a relationship with God, it's not just about how you treat and deal with uh, being really good at being really moral, but it's also going to be how you interact with and relate to the good things in your life too, like your wealth. You go, what? He says you're going to have to change how you use and see the good things in your life too. And I know you're probably listening. You're going, what are you you talking about, Mike? This is weird. This is a weird term. Let me say it this way. There are things, there are ways that we use the good things in our lives like maybe finances or resources or how moral we are, how good we are to hide the imperfections that we see and know and feel in our life so that maybe no one else will see it. 
And so there's times that we feel insecure, or we feel worthless, or we feel, you know, fill in the blank there. Whatever that is, we, f- we feel these things in us. And here's what this man's done. He's taken his goodness, he's taken his actions, his moral behavior, he's taken his wealth, and he's trying to cover up his flaws. And so we try to cover up our flaws, and we use our goodness, or whatever it might be. You, can, you probably already know you're thinking about it right now, but we use those things as a tool to cover up who we truly are, thinking this will get me there. This will help me find salvation. If I can hide the bad, if I can hide this, if I can hide X, then maybe I can get there and I can get in the club. And here's what Jesus says to the rich young ruler. You've put your faith and your trust for your salvation and your wealth and your good deeds and you're trusting it to save you. You're trusting your wealth to heal you. You're trusting your wealth to make you okay. But at the end of the day, all it's doing is making you more reliant on yourself and less reliant on God. And so his question is, what must I do? It's all about him saying, how can I do this? How can I do this? How can I do this? And what Tim Keller says in his book, by doing this, he's made Jesus not his God, but his boss. Jesus, give me something else to do so that I can be good enough. Give me something else to do. Give me another task to perform. Can I, maybe if I get a little bit more money or maybe if I, give me another task to do so I can hide my flaws, so I can, so I can push it down deeper so that I can be whole, so that I can get there. Like, do you see the trap? Do you see the trap? Because what this type of thinking does is it moves us from making Jesus our Savior to making me my Savior. Jesus, what must I do to get into heaven? And the gospel message is not about what can I do. The gospel message is look what Jesus has done. You, there needs to be a lot more amens right there. Let me say, hold on. Let me say it one more time and give you one more chance. The gospel message is not what can I do. The gospel message is look at what Jesus has done. That was really bad. One more time. One, two, three. All right. That's, I hate it when people do that. You know, to me it's like when I'm in a crowd, but we got to do better at that one. We got to get excited about Jesus, man. You know, last week, if you were here, the focus was all about Jesus came and died and rose from the dead so that we can have freely have undeserved love, freely have undeserved forgiveness and have our identity in that. And yet here we are two chapters later. Here's a guy coming trying to box Jesus in and figure out what can I do, 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 work, earn so that I can get you in my debt so I can do something good enough to get salvation. And the irony is Jesus is offering it for free. And he's trying to tell this man, trust me and not your stuff. Put your identity in me, not your stuff. Trust me and not your ability to be good. Trust me. And so he challenges him. He says, give all your stuff away. Stop trusting your money. Give it all away. Stop trusting your goodness. Give it all away. Come follow me and trust me to save you. 
if you could just imagine for a little while having living life without the safety of your riches, living life without the safety of your possessions, the thing that you're trying to cover up your blemishes with, just imagine life a little bit without trying to hide behind all that stuff and just come follow me. And what happens? It says the man leaves grieving because he had great possessions. Maybe you look at this and you go, so is this all about just money today? And I mean, honestly, yes. And honestly, no. (laughs) Because here we have Jesus, if you read the scriptures, Jesus is constantly warning Christians about the love of money. And, And I say for some reason, but we know why, right? Money paralyzes us. Money grips our souls. Money makes for the most part, good moral people do really dumb, selfish, evil things. And even like good Christians, we look at people with riches and money who, and we like idolize them, don't we? Like we look at them, we're like, oh, they're rich. They got money. They got a yacht. Oh, that must be so amazing. Despite the fact like they're terrible people, right? Like it could be awful moms and dads and like just terrible human beings. And we're like, could you write a book so I could read it, please? Right? Could you do a podcast? I want to learn how to be like you. And it's like, why? They're evil, man. They're off. They're terrible. But why? There's something about money. We look at them and go, you're amazing. And, you know, we certainly need a heart check when it comes to money. Are we giving God what's his? Are we freely offering up to him what he deserves? Are we holding back? Are we giving generously to people who are in need? And if not, why? Are we afraid? Are we selfish and think that what we have belongs to us and not God? You know, I don't know. Those are questions that we need to ask ourselves right? But the point here is as much about this man's identity as it is about his money. Because last week, again, if you're here, we talked about Jesus wanting us to have a new identity that's built on love and forgiveness in him. And we look at this man and it says he's grieving. And so we ask the question, why is he grieving? Why is he going away sad? Just because he's not getting into heaven, he's grieving. Because when Jesus says, not even when he says, give up your goodness, but when he says, I want you to give up your money, I want you to sell what you have and give it to the poor. What he's asking Jesus to give up is the thing that he's built his identity on. You see that? He's built his identity and his trust on his wealth. And so Jesus says, you need to give it up You need to push yourself away from it. He's not saying it's bad or evil. It's an inanimate object. It's what we do with it. But what he's doing is saying, you've made your finances, you've made your resources, the core of your identity, how you define yourself, how you protect yourself, how you keep yourself safe, how you hide your blemishes. And Jesus says, if you want to know me, you got to get that out of the way so that I can be the king of your heart. In order for Jesus to be his savior, he had to give up the other thing he was trusting to be his savior. And that's scary. And it's easy if we only talk about money because if you're like me, you're like, you know, you don't really got to worry about that too much, right? And like, yeah, rich people, idiots, you know, like, ah, come over here on the poor side, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right? That's easy. Yeah. yeah, get the rich people or whatever, you know? But the truth is, is whether you're rich or poor or whatever, we all have things that we build our identity on that aren't Jesus. How, how, do, I, how do I know that? If I passed out a paper today and I was like, I want you to write down who you are today. Write down, tell me about yourself. We'd be like, well, I work at this. I have three kids and this and I have this. And like if the top of the, right? How do you define yourself? Here's where I work. Here's what I do. Here's where I live. Here's how, how do we define ourselves? 
really the top of that list should be Christ. How do I define myself? Saved by Jesus. Amen? And what we see from the rich young ruler, he had built his identity, number one, on his stuff, using his money as a safety net. I don't need Jesus because I got stuff, using to hide his flaws with his stuff. And the truth is, if, that's, if we live in that, if that's how we define ourselves, if that's what we trust for our salvation, then like stock markets crash, 401ks run out, jobs are lost. And if our identity is based on that, then we're owned by the markets. We're owned by the bank account. We're owned by our retirement account. We're owned, owned, owned by all those things and not Jesus. Nobody said amen on that one. If you feel that pull today, let me, let me tell you, let me warn you, let me help you. Let Jesus be the source of your identity. Let Jesus be the source of your salvation. Let Jesus be the source of your hope. If you're in this place today and you're thinking, I'm going to be really, really good and it's going to be my morality that's going to save you, my, my warning for you is that you're going to always have this nagging feeling that I'm not good enough, not doing enough, not performing enough, not doing, doing, doing. you got to work harder, work harder, work harder. Sign up for another community group. Sign up for another serve team. Sign up to go feed the homeless. Sign up, you know, whatever that might be. And those are all good things and we'll, we'll sure sign you up, right? We'll get you on the team. But you're always going to have this nagging feeling that you're not good enough. And here's the truth, you're not. Because it's Jesus that makes us good enough. It's not what can I do, it's what Jesus has done. If you notice, when Jesus kind of, before he gives them the last challenge, what must I, you know, do? Or I get sell your riches and come follow me. It says right there in verse 20, 21, it says, Jesus looking at him, loved him. Now, that's one of the coolest and yet saddest verses in all of Scripture, isn't it? Because we see this and we ask the question, why, why, did, why did the author point that out? Like, does he want us to know that, like, in spite of the fact that Jesus knows he's not going to follow him, that Jesus loves him? And I think, I think probably so. I think part of that is us, him wanting us to know that Jesus isn't just saying this to push him away. But as a matter of fact, Jesus is brokenhearted at what's about to happen. I think another part of that is that Jesus has given up so much for us, literally leaving heaven, coming to earth <laughs> so that we could have salvation freely. And yet here's this man trying to earn it. And I think it's breaking Jesus's heart. So here's my challenge for us today, River Church, is the band's going to, they're going to come in a minute. We'll take communion. We'll sing another song. As we're doing that, my challenge to you this morning is to pray and talk to Jesus and ask that question, what, what owns me? And not, not just what owns me, because I'm not just talking about money, but I'm talking about what, what owns my trust. At the end of the day, when things get crazy, when things get hard, when I'm looking to my salvation, when I'm looking for hope, what is the thing that I'm putting my hope in? What am I putting my trust in? What am I depending on for my salvation? And here's the truth. I have really good news for you because if it's anything other than Jesus, you're stuck in a trap and you're stuck in a prison. 
And this really cool thing can happen where if you can bust out of that trap, you can bust out of that prison with the help of Jesus, you're going to have this incredible thing happen. And when you put all of your trust and faith and hope for Jesus and your salvation, you get to be free. And you're going to feel this freedom that you've never had. And you're going, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have to earn this. I don't have to work. I can just trust in Jesus for this. And it becomes this beautiful experience that God has for you to walk with him, trust him, to be free in him. Amen. All right, you guys stand up with me and I'm going to pray this morning. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for this place. God, I thank you for everyone who's here this morning in this room, God. And I pray and thank you for what you're doing in their hearts and their minds, God. Lord, there's so many traps that we fall into when it comes to our relationship with you, God. There's so many traps that that the devil and the enemy uses to try to get in the way and slow us down and mess up our relationship with you, God. And there's so many traps that that even Christians that we fall into and we're trying to follow you that hold us back, God. And we're trying to use whatever it might be. Maybe it's maybe it is wealth. Maybe it's morality. Maybe I, I don't I don't know, God, what the list is, how we identify ourselves, Jesus. But there's so many things that we do to try to cover up those blemishes. To go, Jesus, what can I do here to earn your love? What can I do here to get into heaven? What can I do here to make every Everything okay, God. What can I? What can I do? How can I work? How can I achieve? What What must I do? And your Your answer is simply, Hey, give all that up. Whatever you're trying to do to save you, stop it. And put your trust in me. So my prayer this morning for our congregation, for the River Church family in this place, for everyone who's here, is that we would put our trust and our faith in the only thing that can save the only one who can heal and the only one who can change lives, God, that we would put our faith and trust wholly in you, God, and that we can follow in absolute freedom. I love you, Jesus, and I ask all these things in Christ's name.